When did you first hear the word entheogen? Uh, I first heard the word uh, back back in college uh, in a mythology course, and it was uh, a word that uh, struck me because it's uh, I think it was the first time I'd heard. Uh, well, first of all, it just a, it sounds cool. You hear that word in a lecture, and it, it draws your attention. But uh, but you know, as the as the lecture wound on, it was a word that uh, I think it was the first time I really. Uh, in a modern context, heard uh, a word used for non-recreational drug use, or um, so so using a substance as more of like a sacrament. And I don't mean it in a strictly religious sense, but using it as a, um, a, a kind of a vehicle uh, to acquire some kind of a religious or spiritual effect. So it was a word that uh, I guess I heard back then, and then I hadn't heard in a long time. And every once in a while, it'll just kind of pop up. And uh, when we were talking about getting the show together, it just made a lot of sense. Yeah. The theme of, uh, of high school is often like, just say no. And that's the context for, you know, any kind of use of psychedelics or other drugs, just say no. So I can imagine hearing a word that gives psychedelic use some respect and reverence and, uh, and, and, and history. I mean, when you talk about uh, entheogens, you're you're uh, definitely talking about indigenous culture and a, and a long, long history of um, of very mm, a very institutionalized, uh, productive experimentation with uh, those substances. Yeah, it gives a little bit of credibility and yeah, historical context. That's yeah, well, and it's in stark contrast to the rest of college, which is just you know everybody getting messed up on whatever it is, whether it's alcohol or something else. Uh, so it was just, yeah, it was very striking at the time. And you probably thought to yourself, I want to do drugs with that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Hearing hearing this now, my thought is, I wish I took that class. Right. (laughs) Sounds like a great class. It's all right, Brad, you've been making up for it since then. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You you, you pass in summer school. So in the meantime, we've been discussing uh, this article uh, in the Daily Beast, Psychedelics Are Ready for a Comeback. Um, and it talks about a new book that's just been released as we record this uh, called Acid Test. Um, and it's by a guy named Tom Schroeder. Um, there's, uh, there's a bit of uh, discussion here, but mostly an interview, uh, which we'll post a link for in the show notes with, uh, with the author about some of the people he interviewed. And just to kind of jump right into it, Brad, you'd highlighted something I thought was really interesting, um, a quote here that I guess suggested a, uh, a graph that you also included, which we'll post to the right. show notes as well. Yeah. What was that quote? Um, so this was a part where uh, it was part of the response to the interviewer's question, do you think people are inherently afraid of psychedelics? Um, and, and part of that answer was the, you know, the whole idea that it was creating a generation of valueless zombies or something or that healthy people would go crazy from taking one dose of psychedelics was never justified by the facts. Um, it says it was never as dangerous as many other drugs that did become prescription drugs. And that really that resonated with me and it, it, it recalled to mind uh, an image that I saw uh, I think originally posted by the Daily Mail. And uh, the image was a graph showing over the past 10 years, for, well, from 1999 to 2000. So over this 10-year over this period, uh, U.S., so it's about the American drug overdoses and deaths per 100,000 people. And so over time, left to right, it shows that there has been an increase. 
that there has been a pretty staggering increase in drug overdose deaths uh, from this 10-year period of time. However, when you when you look, it's it's color coded and it's it conveys a lot of, of good information. When you look closely at it, and you can see that um, the top several drugs are, I think, what the drugs that people would come would you know think of when you think of the word drug. You know, it's like uh, narcotics, heroin, cocaine, and then there's this other category that's at the very top that's very thin and and what I noticed was that there's this huge green band on the bottom that's growing like logarithmically practically and that whole section is pharmaceuticals and when you look closer at the the more classically understood drugs like heroin cocaine and uh, they they've been more or less the same you know it's the band hasn't really changed at all over the past 10 years and and the the smallest band at the very top is called other and the other uh includes cannabis so pot um lsd opium mescaline mushrooms uh and so that all of those you know which i think are are what we're talking about mostly here in this, in these conversations, it's insignificant, but it was pretty staggering how pharmaceutical drugs, uh, the, the drug overdoses are, are increasing and it's more than three times in 2010, what it was in 1999. Uh, and then within that, there are three bands of pharmaceuticals, uh, to differentiate intentional self-harm and unintentional self-harm. Uh, so uh, a suicide attempt, you know, or not not an attempt, a suicide success uh, would be an intentional self-harm. And the, the greatest band is the unintentional self-harm section. So it's it's pretty scary. You know, it's there's a lot of it's a big business. And it's the, the contrast between seeing how um, prolific that is and how, you know. Well, it's, it's also an interesting thing to uh, I mean, just. If you're speaking to someone who has no experience with uh, with psychedelic substances, and you do bring the conversation up, I mean, it, most people tend their first reaction tends to be sort of like a a panic about those substances. And uh, and if you get someone engaged in a conversation, it's it's unbelievable how uh, a person's mind can be so uh, so organized or divided in that that you know it's you you can tell them about this incredible experience that you've personally had. And that, or and and a host of experiences that have like only been positive and have had no side effects on you, and it's very difficult for them to accept that, uh, or they'll think that it's an aberration. Whereas anything that comes from the pharmacy is is uh, immediately legitimate because it, a doctor prescribed it and it comes from a pharmacy. Right. I mean that's staggering. I mean it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. This uh, the chart um, just because this is a radio show and doesn't have any visual accompaniment here aside from the show notes that you'll you'll see later. Um, it's I guess what you call like a stacked um, stacked graph. And right. So you have like at the very top the line you're referring to, Brad, is other is i mean it's like less than a rounding error it's like it's it's practically like this the you know it's a hairline basically yeah. right? it's, it's basically yeah. imperceptible whereas you have pharmaceuticals which you know have just continued to increase in in the damage they cause and the deaths they cause um which you know i mean again it's important to point out like these are by definition not schedule one drugs they're they're you know they're used medicinally and they're as dangerous as they as they are shown here um and whereas all of the the things we discuss on this show you know all the psychedelics cannabis and so on um 
are cause almost no deaths. And you know, some people would argue, just on Kevin's point, that um, maybe they're doing a really good job in the drug war. You know, like they're preventing all these deaths. Look at the drugs that are illegal. They're they're not causing you know nearly as many deaths, but. Um, I think it's pretty obvious to anybody paying attention that the people are still doing these drugs um, in large numbers, and they're you know practically harmless. Well, and then the great irony here too is that I mean the the criteria for for having a drug uh, placed uh, as a Schedule One, uh, you know, in addiction, the ability to become addicted to it is one of the big factors. And uh, I mean, if you look at the the list of other, I mean, if uh, scroll down that list, there, cannabis, LSD, opium, mescaline, mushrooms, are all substances that don't create uh, any chemical addiction. Whereas uh, those pharmaceuticals, I'm willing to bet that a large majority of them create serious addiction. Right. Not to mention, you know, some of the others at the top. They're alcohol. Um, you know, it, certainly heroin is illegal, um, but it's it's responsible for obviously many, many, many more deaths than than psychedelics. Um, and it would, I think it makes a lot more sense to think about like where we focus, you know, on, uh, trying to limit people's use of these drugs. I mean, focus on treating people who are addicted to things that are addictive and let's not focus so many resources on people who want to smoke a little bit of pot every now and then. Yeah. Well, and also how, I mean, how about alcohol? I mean, alcohol is a, a staggering one, but it's, it's a, uh, it, it's a substance that causes a, a ton of harm and yet it's a hundred percent completely accepted. I mean, I don't see any, uh, I don't see any uproar about, about alcohol. I mean, except from possibly underage drinking, but, uh, it's just, it's so ingrained in our society. And, uh, and you look, I look at a chart like this and I mean, alcohol is killing more people than any of the uh, substances above it. So I guess the theme comes back to, again, just, you know, the, how do you change perception? Because again, it's people don't realize this. I think that a lot of people haven't seen a chart like this. They kind of lump all drugs together. Um, illegal drugs are seem seen to be, uh, you know, dangerous and something to be, I mean, we, we whisper about them. We don't really tell each other that we, you know, like to uh, have a trip every now and then. Um, and people tend to think it's something scary and weird. And, uh, you know, whereas, uh, everyone has a prescription to, uh, some kind of, a you know, anti-anxiety, anti-depression, uh, anti-pain, you know, pain treatment, medication, all kinds of sanctioned pharmaceuticals, um, which again are dangerous, but you know, we talk openly about them. So, you know, yeah, how well, we change and, that perception. And, and even, even the way those uh, are talked about, I mean, they're, they're talked about not in, in just even in a factual way. I mean, people, uh, you know, the, at least a lot of the conversations I've heard is just, you know, people openly bragging about, uh, the, you know, the effects of, uh, of certain pharmaceuticals and things like, you know, because they're legal, it's like, if that were an illegal, substance uh, they they wouldn't say a word about it but it's kind of like the the conversation is permitted uh which anyway which i think brings us back to the the, the whole point of this podcast which is uh in calling it entheogen is kind of trying to highlight uh the the proper use or the or the the best use for these substances and uh and and i don't know doing 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 these things in uh you know in a way that's uh productive and, and works into kind of like an evolution uh in your life so let's talk about that word then just in a little bit more detail. What, uh, do you have like a sort of working definition that, uh, that you think of when we use that word? Uh, I, w I mean, I definitely say that the, the, the big, the big difference, uh, between, you know, uh, or, or the, the greatest, um, definer would, would be using it in a, 
non-recreational way uh, that that is focused on some kind of spiritual end. And I don't think you know, it doesn't have to be so grand. You don't have to be looking to uh, to speak to God. But I mean, uh, uh, a spiritual end in in terms of uh, some you know appealing to some part of your uh, your soul to call it, uh, that word, <laughs> to use that word. I mean, I, I don't want this to get too, uh, religious either because it's not really a religious word, but it's, uh, but I just mean in, in terms of, um, wanting to gain a greater perception and a greater understanding of, of yourself and the world around you. So, you know, dictionary.com as referenced from Wikipedia refers to entheogen as generating the divine within. I think if you look at probably what the Latin root, it would, it would kind of have that sense. Do you think that's something that makes people uncomfortable with psychedelics in general. It's like maybe they're not comfortable with the idea that we may be able to find the divine within or that we have some resonance with that. You know, there, I think people are maybe more comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. And there, there's something in the article toward the end of it where, um, you know, in response to the question, why don't we focus more medical research on psychedelics specifically? You know, it's, 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 it's been stigmatized, you know, it's been stigmatized throughout its history. There's a quote here that Nixon once called Timothy Leary, the most dangerous man in America and, or that the, the nature of psychedelic experience itself is challenging to the rationalists basis of Western ideas. So, you know, maybe it's a fear of confronting yourself, uh, in a singular way, but then there's also this very large macro idea that, uh, you know, it's it's not it's not what we are taught, you know, and it's it's it came from uh, more indigenous cultures, and it's challenging the norm. You know, there's a lot of I think conspiracy conspiratorial rabbit holes we could chase down. To, you know, the, with regard to the '60s and the counterculture movement, and and that perhaps if the 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 young culture didn't want to fight, that it's like, well, that's illegal. <laughs> can't have that we can't have a whole country of people uh believing in peace that's you know that's not good for the economy (laughs) yeah there's another part of this article that you know so the book tom schroeder's book it follows this this marine who was selected to be treated for post-traumatic stress disorder uh using mdma uh which I don't know. It's it's interesting to me. I don't, this using LSD and using uh, medicinal plants, I think, are, are a bit more commonplace in in culture today. But using MDMA uh, in this way, it was really it re- really interesting to me, um, and it seemed to be pretty effective for for the the character in the book. And uh, there's a quote I liked. This is a quote from Sasha Shulgin, the this, one of the synthesizers and pers. Per, first people to work with MDMA. Um, and it, it said it was like having a reality, uh, not a reality, having reality revealed to you in a very sort of sober way. It allowed you to look at the hard realities of your life without fear or pain. Hmm. Yeah, I th- well, definitely like getting a greater a greater perception. And I think uh, anyone, anyone who's done any of those things probably had that feeling at some point that they had all of a sudden a, uh, an increased perception. But I think uh, when it relates to the Marine too, uh, in in the, in the Schroeder book, it's kind of interesting to think about. You know, if you had some kind of traumatic experience like that, um, you know, in our in our lives we got a greater perception and we grew up in in normal in normal you know semi semi normal lives with our own things going on, and what it did was kind of like break break us out of this like very 
limited uh, way of seeing things and this kind of like a very personal uh, perception and it gave you kind of like this um, more of a macro or a universal perception of things. And I can imagine how important that would be if you had a traumatic experience and you couldn't seem to get out of like th- those patterns and that and that those memories and just about how uh, powerful your own personal perception was and then to, to have an experience like that and just have it kind of open you up and make you realize the, the just the realm of possibilities and everything in the world and uh, it, w- it would probably help you uh, I don't know feel at least somewhat relieved that uh, you know that your your life isn't isn't the worst thing that's uh, happening there's a lot of uh, good you can relate to and then also you can kind of consider so many other possibilities and uh, and feel them in a really well uh, real way yeah, sometimes it's really difficult to, you know, to even have access to any of those other possibilities when trying to work through something that's really painful because of all the pain associated with it, you know, and you try and like revisit something or try and, uh, you know, reconcile something or um, otherwise sort of deal with something and, and you have to revisit it and, you know, go there in your mind and all the pain comes back and you almost have like a just a natural sort of aversion to it. Um, whereas with, I think, some of the psychedelics, including MDMA, which has psychedelic sort of uh, or entheogenic uh, uh, you know, properties, uh, certainly, um, it can give you sort of an objective uh, perspective and can sort of take away, not in masking the pain, but in sort of just giving you a different perspective that's not um, associated with, you know, with such pain. And, and it can make things easier to, to sort of deal with that way. It can give you access to those memories or, um, you know, things that you need to sort of look at without that natural sort of aversion that you get from just, you know, unassisted um, revisiting of those things. I also thought it was curious that in the, in the art, that article, he, uh, the Marine also mentioned after, you know, having success uh, treating his post-traumatic stress disorder that also later he his personal relationships began to improve and evolve and that uh, he particularly mentioned his father and that he would had this kind of like uh, cold distant relationship with his father and that uh, after after these experiences he had like a, a new understanding and he began to develop uh, a much closer relationship with his father and it just you know it made me think that I, I think in, in my own life I've had a similar uh, progression, and I really do think it's because of uh, these experiences. Because there seems to be, uh, a, along with a greater perception, a greater sense of empathy and understanding. And when once you begin to understand or empathize with uh, another person and see their their story, it's almost like you. It's very easy to come to a point of forgiveness for anything that you know may have happened in the past, or for anything any differences you might have. And it's just easier to kind of uh, let those things go and just. Uh, li- kind of live the, the the current moment and and enjoy the you know what can be enjoyed. Yeah, and feel comfortable being yourself. You know, feel yeah. feel comfortable having an emotion, and and not being afraid to share that emotion for fear of rejection or fear of stigmatization. Uh, but this you know feeling like I I you know I, I'm not afraid to tell my dad I love him. You know, or I'm not afraid to uh, to appear weak, um, to be vulnerable. Um, yeah. yeah, that's really interesting, and it, it occurs to me as you're, you guys are describing um, that characteristic of using these, um, you know, these tools. Um, they're distinct from typical pharmaceuticals in that it's sort of a limited therapeutic um, time frame. Like you can kind of like you take you can take one dose of LSD and work through some stuff, and then you know basically 
take a lot of what you've learned back to your everyday life and, and make so much progress so quickly that you almost don't need another treatment for, you know, sometimes several months, sometimes for years, sometimes forever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, or you do a series of like experiences with MDMA over the course of a few weeks or something like that, you know, in a therapeutic context. And then, you know, and, and you make tons of progress and then you're, you know, practically healed as opposed to um, just being prescribed something like on an ongoing basis. Like this is something you take now every day. You know, um, and that, that's probably why the uh, pharmaceutical industry hasn't really embraced these substances. Yeah, good point. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely, I've definitely always considered that one. I mean, like, from like a humoristic point of view, I just always imagined, you know, like, you know, imagine you had like a, a like a, a heroin dealer and like an acid dealer living side by side. You know, I mean, it's like the, the heroin dealer would be a lot of like nonstop just couldn't couldn't keep it keep, keep in in uh in stock and the uh and the acid dealer would be selling like you know a couple tabs a month you know, <laughs> just 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 you know blue collars and like slugging his way through it you know it's just uh i mean it's an incredibly cheap substance that uh, is also you know just not prone to to frequency and it's it's goes against everything that pharmaceuticals are all about <laughs> i think uh one, one of your quotes from the the last uh mushroom trip we did here in town was um that uh lsd is the uh, the cheapest vacation on earth or something like that <laughs> <laughs> nice exactly exactly it's brilliant. i mean it's just yeah it, it, it's not a very good business right <laughs> don't don't get into that business that's that's right yeah, I, I enjoyed this article and I was really intrigued by Tom Schroeder and, and I was doing a little more research and, and found a, an excerpt um, from his book on Washington Post's website. And in it, uh, there it talks about this guy, Roland Griffiths, who used psilocybin, um, you know, the, the psychoactive, the entheogenic uh, ingredient of, of mushrooms. And he was doing these studies uh, in 2001 and, you know, to your point, Joe, about, you know, these things have lasting benefits. You know, you have one experience with it. And, um, and what he was saying is that in the end, more than 70% of the participants self-rated the experience, experiences as one of the five most important in their lives. And perhaps even more astoundingly, nearly a third rated it the single most important experience of their life. And that was six months after. So it was revisiting this you know, and giving people time, you know, half a year to, to continue to learn about this one experience and continue to heal and continue to grow. Um, and I, you know, I, it's something that I, I personally, I, I have experience with, um, the first, my first experience drinking ayahuasca, um, was in, was in New York. It was in Brooklyn. And it, I, I had this very overwhelming positive feeling for days after where it felt, you know, okay to feel how I felt. I called my dad, you know, it surprised me that that was my reaction that, you know, I wanted to share it, you know, I wanted to share this experience. And whereas, you know, I've never really talked to my dad about drugs, you know, it's, I don't do like, I don't go to a party and take MDMA and call my dad and be like, Oh, that was awesome, dad. Like, let me tell you about it. But for some reason, this is different. You know, this was a different experience entirely. And it was, it was a strong, you know, experience drinking ayahuasca and it made an impression on me. And I just felt like it's more important for him to know what's, what's going on with me and how I'm feeling 
uh, than it is for me to shield that from him. And we had a great conversation. And, you know, it, he still loves me. He'll be happy to know that uh, I didn't get uh, shunned from the family. But it was, it was interesting even to me in the context of my own experience that that was my reaction. I think my greatest surprise in hearing that story is that you took ayahuasca in Brooklyn. Yeah, like, yeah. Like of all of all places, of all the places in the world to take ayahuasca, it was in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. Were the, were the, did you find like the last three Indians left in Brooklyn that were like <laughs> living under the bridge or something? <laughs> is there like a is there a new hipster like cafe that now makes ayahuasca smoothies or something? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. The you know that ayahuasca. It's kind of you know relatively popular these days compared to maybe ten years ago, and and I think there's a, de- a demand for it from from a Western perspective. Uh, and there's there's a lot of people going to the Amazon, going to Peru, going to Brazil uh, to drink it specifically because I think it's 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 unlocking them out of this sort of Western idea of thinking and Western way of believing. Uh, and a lot of people are, yeah, they're bringing it. So this guy that uh, that I drank with, and I'm extremely grateful for the experience. And having subsequently uh, drank in both Colombia and Peru, I, I really respect what he's doing. When once I kind of saw saw it done on its home turf, and seeing how much uh, attention and attention he paid to make it a as real of an experience as it could be in the context of this, you know, massive sprawling urban environment. Um, but he's, you know, he's been going to Peru for seven years. He goes multiple times a year. He's been working, you know, working with ayahuasca and working with, um, a shaman specifically, uh, to sort of train to do this. And, and he really, it's become a central part of his life to be able to share it with other people. And, you know, I don't think I, I necessarily would have had, that that opportunity or taking that opportunity if it wasn't uh you know right here in my own neighborhood i was i was actually you know while, while you're saying that i was thinking that uh we're living kind of in an interesting time because probably i mean from the time our parents were young until uh recently there was the whole backlash to the, to the 60s and i mean in the last few years we've seen legalization of uh, marijuana in a number of states and uh and now, I mean, it's no coincidence. I mean, this week alone, we've been talking about different articles. It just seems to be, there seems to be a, a liberalization uh, happening, at least uh, amongst uh, a pretty large group of people, uh, in terms of uh, being more open to these things. And uh, you know, if, if you're talking about increased ayahuasca use or in, interest in ayahuasca, and I know that that's now such a popular thing to to do. It's like pe- tons of people traveling to. South America specifically for that reason. Yeah. Or and, Brooklyn. Uh, or Brooklyn. <laughs> Exotic <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I've noticed yeah, the uh, same same trend personally. Like just I don't know if it's something I'm picking up on in society, but um, you know, I'm feeling more open to discussing these experiences with more people that I never would have really like, you know, felt sure. as comfortable talking talking about them sure. with. And it also seems like, you know, it's kind of like the statute of limitations ended on uh, or, or just like, you know, the, the propaganda couldn't go on that long. It kind of like wore itself out at some point uh, because, I mean, even the conversations I've had, uh, you know, even with people in Europe, it's like you're talking about LSD sometimes. They're like, isn't that isn't that, that like what didn't, that still exists? Like, didn't people do that like in the 60s? Right. You know, it's like it's like there it's uh, it kind of like vanished and I feel like it's kind of come back. And uh, and it's just hit a new a new generation of people. It has a little bit more information. It's a little bit more 
curious. And then also I think there's like, there are these parallels to, uh, between psychedelic experiences and, um, things like yoga, which has, have exploded. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I love, uh, going to yoga myself and I can't, there, there's just so many things that are talked about in my yoga class that I relate directly to, 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 uh, psychedelic experiences. So I think, maybe, you know, maybe there's just kind of, um, a change, a, a change happening, like a, a global change happening, and uh, and definitely legalizing marijuana will probably uh, help speed that right along. Yeah, the gateway drug. Yep. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, right. the gateway drug. Nice, but it just seems like I mean, reading these articles too, like the the, um, the difficulty that researchers have in getting access to these like to, to these exactly. substances now, it's and, just unbelievable. It's, and how much time is lost, and that's what the author of the book is. You, you can tell the tone in the in the article. He's frustrated. He it's is half a century mm-hmm. is wasted. You know, it's they, we had an opportunity and took the opportunity in the fifties before it became criminalized before it became schedule one and and knowing the potential uh another part of this speaking of the potential like from a nominal perspective uh it's really scary you know how many veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder are taking their own lives um they quote a statistic of 20 a day and and there's another statistic that estimates that the the veterans administration uh, is is dealing with the illnesses, et cetera, from from these the people coming back from just Iraq and, and Afghanistan. Uh, it's in the neighborhood of a trillion dollars over the next thirty years. And if we have an opportunity to to use MDMA or use LSD or some other psych, psychedelic um, to treat this and to you know save these people's lives, uh, it's how can we not do that? How can we not? Uh, yeah, investigate that. It's also one of the most touching parts of the article. I think is uh, uh, there's this, this whole uh, part of the article about how this marine who's uh, had had this successful treatment about uh, because of the kind of the culture of the Marine Corps and uh, the bond that he felt with the people he served with about how guilty he feels that he's been able to be treated and and has improved so much and that this is just not available to the rest of his. Uh, to, to the rest of his uh, colleagues or, or fellow soldiers that he that he served with, because he was just lucky enough to get into this kind of experimental program, right? Yeah, and it's it, you know it, it treats the the core issue. The you know um, use of entheogens in, in therapy uh, tend to address you know the core issue as opposed to treating like the symptoms. You know, treating treating pain directly or treating. Um, you know, depression and anxiety and other sort of like tangential symptoms. Um, it, it treats the actual, you know, the core fundamental like uh, like problem, you know, of of uh, that that leads to these sort sorts of um, you know associated disorders. And in that way, it's just a much more efficient way of dealing with the problem. And you know, it's really a shame that we don't have access to it. Agreed. I think Tom Schroeder would strongly agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> 